Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to be working through the remainder of Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 35 and going to the end of the chapter. And just like we did in yesterday's podcast, we are going to bring in the comments that we're receiving uh, right around the verses that those comments are uh, dealing with. So uh, we've got one again from Matt Wesley today, which I think is really uh, a great comment and worth our consideration. So Without further ado, we jump into verse 35. What stands out to you, sir? Well, it seems to be that Jesus jumps from a, uh, a sermon about treasures and, and greed and covetousness to being ready for something. And I think as we go through this, these, these next verses, we will see that he seems to be talking about his second coming. It looks uh, as though that's the focus of this. But he gives a very uh, interesting story and uh, about a, uh, a wedding feast and and on all of the things that are going on there. So to to kind of teach the people about being ready for his return, the second advent. Now, this it's it's very important to note here that I think at the time I'm not sure that they understood exactly what this was about. Uh, because keeping in mind, he hadn't gone to the cross yet, so they they uh, they didn't uh, uh, have a a framework for everything that was going to happen. Now, that being said, he he has taught them about this. He does the concept has been out there, but I think we will as we walk through this, we'll we'll see that there were parts of this that they were starting to understand and parts that they did not understand. Yeah. But uh, we'll jump right into Absolutely. verse 35. Uh, Jesus says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their, for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Yeah, absolutely. So be dressed in readiness is, um, um, is an awkward phrase actually in Greek, mm-hmm. which would which would translate stand your waist having been belted. That's how it would read if we were to read this in a literal uh, word for word kind of way. Uh, stand your waist having been belted. What, what <laughs> sense does that make? But if we know that imagery well, if we understand the scriptures well, we, we know that imagery. We've seen this before that would be, you know, having your, uh, having your uh, your your robe or your your garment. robe girded and having been belted. I mean, you're you're ready for this particular thing, and you're ready to go. Uh, keeping your lamps lit. We're going to see that over and over throughout the scriptures, where it is a sign that you are you were waiting. You were genuinely waiting. Elsewhere in the in the text, Jesus asked the question, "When I return, will I find faith?" He actually may ask that in this, but the point still remains: Will I find faith? Well, that was a sign. If you had your lamp lit, if you were filled with God's Spirit, you're looking for His return. All of those pieces are parts of um, our understanding, which we'll have mm-hmm. as we move forward. So He's telling them to be ready, and it comes off the back of them not worrying about all the other stuff in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're His dear children. The kingdom of God is yours. Be ready. Mm-hmm. That's really and, and to be ready for that for that service, as you've said, that they they were physically with the garments that they wore. They would have to 
uh, bring those garments up and tuck the, the 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 bottom of that robe into a waistband. So that was that was that being ha- having gird there or, or there it says have your loins girded, but it was it was essentially pull, pulling that that robe up and tucking it into a waist belt where they could move around easier. They could be ready to do service. And and uh, he says uh, it's it is. Uh, notable when he says, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Have you ever stood at somebody's door and knocked and you waited and you waited and you knocked and you, and you're like, they didn't know I was coming maybe, or if they knew you were coming, they know Jesus is coming. You should be ready to get up and open the door is what he's saying. And we'll see that more as he rolls out this idea of this wedding feast. Yeah. I think there's an image of readiness uh, and having your lamp lit that has a lot to do with our continued faith, our continued trust, number one, in the return of the master, right? He's going to mm-hmm. return from the from this wedding feast. And, and we need to be, we are servants of the Most High. I, th- I think this is just worth throwing in here. But we we get caught up in our conversations as Christians about what our identity is. And it's a good conversation. It's a necessary conversation. But sometimes we say, well, I'm a child of God and I'm no longer a servant. The New Testament constantly refers to you as a servant mm-hmm. and a child mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Just as the previous verses, we saw that it calls us children and now it's calling us men. The point is that it's both. It, these are all figures of speech or ways to communicate our relationship with God. And so you and I, as Christians, we are servants of the master. We are children of the father. We are brothers and sisters to one another. We are a lot of things, the Bible says. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't get so hung up on the title. We should look to what we're supposed to do. And so, so in this context, it says that we are servants of the master. And we're supposed to be ready. Well, we're to be ready with what? Our lamps lit. Well, back in chapter 8, we read the parable of the lamp. Mm-hmm. No one after lighting a lamp covers it up um, with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light, namely your master, mm-hmm. so that he can see what's going on. You, you, can't, you don't go to bed when the master hasn't come back home. You wait for him. There, you can rest later is the point of a lot of this. Then in chapter 11, which we just did a couple of a couple of podcasts ago, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. We're, we're restating this over and over. But we see this imagery all the way back in Exodus, Exodus 27, verse 20, you shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. There's this idea of a continued burning that goes on. And yet again, we see it, we see this clear oil, this pure oil back in Leviticus 24. The point that I'm getting at is that we are to be ready and our lamp slit is a constant measure of faith. We are not going to hide that faith under a bushel. We're instead always ready for his return. Mm-hmm. There's just something important about us being in faith until he returns. Yes, and I I, I, I love the, the, the way that the, the words paint a picture in verse 37. Of, listen to this, that, that 
what uh, Jesus is saying. He said, blessed are those. The same word he used in when he talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he, he the master, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. We don't, we, that's foreign to us. And it's kind of borne out in the very next verse. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and, find them, and finds them so, finds them so what? Ready. Blessed are those slaves. Yes. Wow. That's, that's quite a picture that Jesus is painting about us being ready. We, we have a lot to gain yes. by being prepared. Yes. But so that, that was one of the things that just, I don't know that I'd ever read that yeah. completely it, like that. It jumps off the page too, especially <clears throat> in light of a previous story, which Jesus says, um, if your servant came back from the field, would you tell him, go ahead and sit down at the table while I feed you. Uh, I'll take care of you. No, you'd tell him to prepare something for you. You would have him prepare your meal. He's your servant. You would have him prepare your meal. And after you had eaten, you would feed your slave. But look at what Jesus says about us. It said, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve. Wow, what a powerful idea. So he goes and he serves and he says, and he'll have them recline at the table. By the way, all of this seems a bit of foreshadow to the Last Supper. And so they're going to recline at the table and will come up and he will wait on them. He washes their feet. What a powerful idea. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. What? Yeah. Where, where did we just jump into <laughs> yeah. this? So let's let's just talk about what's going on there yeah, for a little it bit. It was it was a, a dramatic shift actually into a, a into a, another uh, metaphor of which he compares the second coming to the unexpected uh, unexpected arrival of a thief. It, it, a thief never announces when he's coming. Yes. Uh, so so it's going to be, it's, he's coming at a time when you would not expect him. The way to be on guard against a thief is to live in absolute constant readiness. But then, uh, and, and, and the, Paul actually used the same uh, figure of speech uh, as it relates to the second coming in First Thessalonians, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want to read that, he talks about he will come as as a as as a thief as a thief in the night. So this was a, a dramatic shift, but it it tells him you don't know when he's coming yeah. back. And this this again, it just all of this is connected with that first instruction, be dressed in readiness, yes. right? You're, you're supposed to be ready. Paul is not having an ADD moment, just so everybody <laughs> knows. He didn't go off on a thief tangent for some odd reason. And yes, he is comparing, or Jesus is comparing, uh, I said Paul, Jesus is not going <laughs> yeah. on an ADD moment. And Jesus is comparing himself to a thief here. Yes, yeah. this is all happening. He's not trying <laughs> to get you to believe something that you shouldn't believe about him, like a, a, a faulty idea. So, he says the thief was coming. If the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready 
for the Son of Man. So there's the comparison, the thief, the Son of Man, there's the comparison, is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And of course, Peter does what Peter does. And he says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? He just jumps right into, he's like, it must have been rolling around in his head uh, because he's generally known for saying what comes to his mind, I guess. So, uh, and, and I think it's, it is, it, it's, it's pretty cool that Jesus doesn't immediately, immediately address that question. He goes on and the, <laughs> the answer starts to unfold as he, as he, uh, uh, brings out the the rest of his parable. And it says in 42, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his, his master finds so doing when he comes. Yes. Yeah, I think the the important question that we're having here is, what does Peter mean by to us or to everyone? It's either the disciples uh, or it's the crowds, right? That That's the deal. If we look back at 12.1, beginning in this chapter, right? He says, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying, to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So you see the distinction is made in 12.1, but Peter is just like us. He's, he's, he's heard all of this instruction. It's all been powerful. It's all been, really, we take for granted how revolutionary some of this was. And so they're hearing this. And so Peter goes, whoa, hold on. I'm the kind of spokesman for all these disciples here. And I'm going to jump in and say, wait a minute, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone as well? And so we'll, we'll, we'll answer that question, but I think it's really important to draw the distinction of what's happening. So verse 42, picking it apart. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom the master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So not a literal cutting to pieces, but still, (laughs) nonetheless, very, very harsh here. Verse 47, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act uh, in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But The one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. I don't think Jesus answers the question for the very reason that this applies to all of us. Absolutely. This applies to all of us. Mm -hmm. Peter's wondering who this is, who is, who he should be worried about. And Jesus says, worry about yourself, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Worry about yourself. You need to focus on you. You need to be ready. You need to be a good servant. 
of the master. The, the, the entire gist of what he is saying here can get lost if you don't, if you don't uh, uh, see. I, I, every servant of, of Jesus, uh, those, that were, uh, those that were waiting on him to come, they've got to be ready. Uh, uh, he, he, we have to live our life in a state of readiness. Now, there are, there are many that at this time, uh, in, in this era of time, they, they believed that there was a chance that he would come back while some of them were still alive. There were all types of uh, conjecture as to when, uh, when Jesus was going to come back. Well, you know, no man knows that hour or that day. The point was, the idea was, Jesus says, none of that piece really matters. It's your readiness yeah. that ma- that matters. It's the it's you being ready for when when the master does come yeah. back. I also think it worth worth uh, just chiming in on this to say, uh, remember where we are in the storyline. Jesus has not gone to the cross mm-hmm. yet. Do we really think that people who didn't fully understand that he had to go to a cross were thinking about a second coming? Yeah. What, what, what framework would they have to be thinking about that? They don't even know that he has to go away the first time. Right. They're, they're, they're totally afraid of this idea. All I'm bringing that up to say is, is maybe there's something that we need to see about this that would have made sense to them inside of this. And that is, what happens, it, what, what would you say if this whole point was, I have come and I found you unready? Yeah, yeah. If this whole story is Jesus saying, mm-hmm. the master's coming, oh, by the way, I'm here and you weren't ready, there's power in that understanding. That's a great because point. Because what he's challenging people to is that they need to be there's an urgency to their repentance, is yes. I, I suppose what I would uh, put it together as. It doesn't quite make sense to me that they would ever be concerned about his second coming. Thessalonians, yes, um, absolutely. But it wouldn't make sense. It seems like we're reading back into this text mm-hmm. something from the future. Just Something conjecture. that we know, yeah. Total, no, I, total I, conjecture. I'm completely with you. It would, it would have been a stretch for them to... to see that in their context of time and right. and where they were in in the story and uh uh Jesus had had come they were he he was there and as you've said they they weren't ready for him then yeah they absolutely. didn't they were they had a lot of things that they needed to get in order when when he when he was there and and Jesus was a he he was starting to address many many things in 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 their lives that needed to be put in order. Yes, absolutely. So uh, back to the question, you know, who are you addressing? I think we can sum it up by saying that Jesus says, "Here's who I'm addressing: the the faithful and sensible steward." Yeah. Are you that? Is the next question, and I think that's the implied question that Jesus is returning and asking the disciples, are or and the crowds, are you the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants. What a powerful statement. This is, this is a big deal. I think we can also look at this, since Peter's the one who chimes in, 
as Jesus asking Peter, are you going to be ready when I show back up after raising from the dead Mm -hmm. that I can put you in charge of my servants? Remember later in John's gospel, he says, he says, feed my sheep. He says, you know, take care of my sheep. He put him in charge of the rest of them. So this is, this is all just food for thought, Mm -hmm. something to consider here. But the point is, are, is Peter going to be the faithful and sensible steward? The question is still out there, right? Yeah. Was he a faithful and sensible steward? Uh, yes, I think, yes. I think he was, at the end, he was really, really, really heartbroken over this, but I think he trusted his Lord. Mm-hmm. So we'll go on from there, but there's just some fun thoughts about this. Provokes a lot yeah. of thought. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So verse 43, blessed is the slave, you brought this up, whom his master finds so doing when he comes. This sounds like Luke 6 again, like the Beatitudes. Yes. Sounds like Matthew 5. It sounds like blessed are those. And in this, it's blessed are the ready. Yes. Blessed are the absolutely. ready. And, and, and the, look at what Christ is saying, he said, "Truly, I say to you that he will put in charge him in charge of all his possess all all that he possessed, and 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 it it, it here we're going to see in just a second. But he says, if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and as we've read, begins to beat the slaves, both women, uh, men and women, eat and get drunk. He, he says." The master's going to come back on a day that you that you don't expect him, yes. and you're going to be in a bad spot. And and I, it, it is very very notable. We need to look at verse forty seven. This is not these people had no excuse. Jesus says, and that slave who knew his master's will yes. and did not get ready or act in accord will receive many lashes and get in accord with his will. Jesus is saying. You're going. You're 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 going to know. You can know what I expect of you. Yes. You can know yes. what it is that you're expected to do. And for those that that knew and didn't act or get ready, my goodness, it's not Absolutely. gonna it's not gonna go well. A couple of observations just on the uh, the the uh, responsibility. Uh, in the meantime, you know, regardless of what return, what place this is referring to, the idea here is that the servants have a responsibility. The slave has a responsibility, and that is to care for the other slaves, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, well, the sensible servant has a responsibility to care for the slaves, to um, uh, to care for both the men and the women slaves. I love that. Both men and women. Why would you point that out? Is he stressing something? He's stressing something that is a problem. So he says both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. So this guy, instead of doing his duty, he's just he's squandering it. Now, if I put this into that framework yet again of how Peter is going to receive his Lord when he comes back, you see that Peter is actually out fishing and hungry, if you will, as Jesus comes and makes breakfast in John's, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the end of John. But the, the point that I'm getting at is, is that Peter is distraught over the, the going away of his Lord, and he's confused about all of this, and he's really shooken up about this whole idea. Um, it seems Peter doesn't act this way in the in the going away. He's really longing for his master. So he's not beating the other disciples. He's more beating himself up, mm-hmm, as we mm-hmm, see in the mm-hmm. text. Again, all I'm doing is running with an idea that is in my head. I'm not suggesting that I am correct in this, but... 
I really still operate from the framework that said, I don't see why this would be referring to the second coming. They didn't even see him go away the first time, Mm -hmm. let alone, they weren't even ready for that. But nonetheless, if we parallel this with Peter, we've got a guy who was faithful. Um, uh, he, He was... He was waiting. Uh, you notice Jesus says if he's not faithful, he's going to be assigned with the unbelievers. Peter yeah. is not that way. Yeah. He's put in charge. Um, and the slave who knew his master's will, who knew his master's will? Peter mm-hmm. knew his master's will. Certainly. And he did, uh, but if he didn't get ready and act according to that will, he'll receive many lashes. Peter, Peter does. He acts according to that will and he does this. There is more to this. And make no mistake. I think there's more to this, but... Um, verse 48 then, but the one who did not know it, interesting, Peter knows yeah. it. So he's not talking about Peter, it would seem here, uh, or his disciples and committed deeds worthy of a flogging, you will receive but few. Meaning, sure, you, you'll you'll receive uh, some sort of correction, some sort of punishment, but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. God has said, I've given you a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting a lot out of you. He's saying, it seems to me that he's saying here that that those that knew are going to be held to a higher standard. If you know, you're you're already at a different... uh, Standard, he said. Those, the one who did not know it committed deeds and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given much, uh, ha- has been given much. Much will be required. And 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 I, I I think it seems to me that that punishment, that willful disobedience, is yes. is going to is is going to be treated more harshly. Yeah, it's pretty sad. To to a point you brought up earlier uh, that we didn't spend enough time on, in my opinion, but um, is the knowing of God's will. You, you said it well. You're like, we, we know. God wants us to know his will. I mean, that's, that's his desire. In Acts 22, 14, it says, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will. Yes. Right? Yes. He's appointed it that you would know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. So God wants us to know his will. Later, Paul would say to the Romans, and to know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. There was a knowledge of God's will. The We don't have an excuse, to be right, quite honest. Right. We know the will of God. What we really mean when we're asking this question of what is God's will, we're really asking, what does God want me to do today? Mm-hmm. What is God, how does God want me? Well, uh, sadly, in a very selfish way, we're saying, uh, how is my life going to turn out as per God's ordained mm-hmm. plan? Um, and I think the better question is, um, am I going to obey his his desire today? Mm-hmm. Because the outcome is not really my concern. Yes. My concern is, I know his will, am I going to do it? Jesus says, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who know the will of the Father and they do it. Yes. That's You that, know the will of the Father, just yes. do it. We We live in a culture today that says... How is it that God fits into my plans? And when we should be asking, how is it that I fit into God's plans? Amen. Because Amen. the will of God is not your plans necessarily. Now, that that not to say that they can all be bad. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we need to be very, very careful when we, when we are uh, saying, well, uh, you know, I need to know what God has planned just for me. Well, 
Right. I, that's you need to be careful with that because I'm sure that the plan just for you includes a lot of other people as well. Yeah, I think that that brings us back into this conversation we've been having as a church, which is that we are part of a body. Yes. We have an obsession with individualism. What is God's plan for me? Think about it through this framework. What would it sound like if the finger asked, what's God's plan for me? Well, whatever it is, it benefits the rest of the body. Yes. Okay. Yes. Whatever it is, it's attached to the rest. What we're asking when we say, what, what is God's will for me, is what is God's independent, set apart, only me, my special calling will for my life? This is a foolish question to be asking. Mm-hmm. We, we need to be asking your question, which is, how do I fit in with the will of the Father? How do I jump in with His plan? Because after all, I'm a part of His body, not my own. Exactly. I, I don't have that right. I'm, yes. not, I'm not this. Another point about the will of God is James 4.17. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do oh, and does yeah. not do it, to him it is a sin. Mm. Um, I think we should probably take a step back, stop asking the question, what's God's will for my life ultimately? And start asking the question, am I doing what I know to be right? Yes. Otherwise, here's the problem. We're walking in sin. And God does not delight in unrighteousness. Yeah. yeah. That we've got to mm-hmm. get back to the idea that says, okay, am I going to be a rock star someday? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> am I going to be obedient today? That's what God is yes. concerned about. Yes. He will bring about the ultimate plan. You concern yourself with what you know to be right and walk in righteousness, walk in holiness, walk pure before him. Yeah. It has just been just a few verses back that we're seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things we we get so caught up and i got to tell you it is a it's a difficult thing to uh not get caught up in in this temporary world that we that that we live in we place so much emphasis on this life and this world and us and what we it my goodness, we've got we we we've got to stop and back up and say, God, tell me your plans. Tell me your plan. Not, yes. not don't I'm not I don't want to tell you my plans. You tell me your your yes. plans. And that's a totally different way to view things. We're as you've said, we're we're we live in a world where uh, you have to be all about you. And when you're all about you, man, you're 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 not. You're not looking to God no, for anything. No, it, that is a distinctly um, non-kingdom attitude. Yes, yeah. It's, it's not. It never has been all about Absolutely. you. And a kingdom people know that. A yeah. kingdom people know my life impacts those around me. Yeah. And 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 so I need to live rightly. I need to honor them. I need to care for the least of these. I need to do those things. Otherwise, we're we're simply not acting like a kingdom yeah. people. And, Another, and and we go, go back just yeah, for go. just for a second. I, I I it is so important what you said earlier was that those things that we know to do and don't do them it's it's going to yeah. be a sin. We know that God has said first of all you can know for sure that his his will is if you turn your life over to Christ. If you are, are if you are in if you're a, a believer and you're that finger that you talked about, you can bet, you can bet for sure, you can know without, with a certainty that you're going to be a part of a body because without that, uh, with the other part, of that, that hand or that finger is absolutely useless. Yeah. It's, it's useless. So I, and I'm sorry to jump, no, jump in, but, but draw, I, I drawing, so 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. Drawing back to that body thing, think about this. The the finger is never going to do what is contrary to the will of the rest of the body, right? So so the finger's not going to practice unrighteousness right. while the body of Christ practice righteousness. So that's one thing that that should come to the forefront of our sin of our sin issue and our repentance and our call to righteousness. Also, this should draw our attention to the point or the idea of accountability. And that is, if we are a body that walks in righteousness and the finger is doing something unrighteous, we ought to be the people who say, whoa, that's not what we're doing. That's not who we are. This is where accountability and and pursuing holiness all come together. If we're part of the same body, the reason I'm calling somebody out in their sin is not so that I can show you that I'm better. And if that is your heart, you better check it at the door. But instead, it's to say, we need to be yes. walking in righteousness or worthy of our Heavenly Father. When it comes to my my uh, part to play in the body, which people will argue all day is, is your individual part. Sure, but it's a part of a whole yes. again. And that is, it must be subject to the whole because it wants to come under and serve. Right? It would make no mis- it would make make no sense if your hand kept trying to get away from the body. It would hurt the body and the hand would die. Yeah, absolutely. But we, right. we just don't connect those. So yeah. an- another piece that I think is worth thinking about, um, uh, people struggle with this, is that is that final thing that says, okay, the slave who knew his master's will and didn't get it, he's gonna receive many lashings. But verse 48 is hard for people. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy uh, of a flogging will receive but few. Uh, This is not strange, according to the scripture. Punishment for the one who sins out of ignorance has always been less severe. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that God says, well, you were ignorant, therefore I won't punish you. That's a modern parenting fail, not philosophy, but fail. (laughs) Um, Oh, you didn't know, whatever. The idea is that when you do wrong, whether out of ignorance or, or willfulness, if it's ignorance... Why do we correct? Because wrong is still wrong. That's absolutely right. We, we're dealing with black and white here. Yeah. So, so when my daughters do something that is wrong, so, so for example, let's say they touch uh, something, they touch my coffee cup after a, a cup of coffee is just poured, right? I have a Keurig. And so, so they pour this cup of coffee. It's hot. Yeah. It's really hot. Let's say that Becca, who is not, she's our youngest, and she's not able to know all the inner workings of this. Sam is not ignorant anymore. We've said, coffee's hot, don't touch that, babe. So let's say Becca doesn't know, and she goes up and she touches that. Now, there's one way of looking at it. I'm not saying that this is the only way to, to, to discipline or not the only way to discipline. I'm just simply pointing this out. If she touches it and she gets burnt, part of me says, I'm not going to punish her any further because there's a natural consequence there. It got hot. But I would be a bad father if I didn't say, that was hot. You can't touch that from now on. Because what I'm doing, it's discipline nonetheless. It's less severe than the the flogging that we read in verse 47, right? it's, It's less severe than this. But it is still correction because God disciplines those he loves. And if we're wise, 
we discipline those we love. Absolutely. We don't crush them. Right. That's that's not what God does either. But we actually care for them. We have a fundamental misunderstanding of what discipline is, of what correction is, of these things. Wrong of right and wrong as well. Wrong is wrong. Whether you commit it out of ignorance or willfully will determine how you're corrected, mm-hmm. but you still have to learn what is right. Yes. That comes through correction. Yes. Anyway. That's the that's the important piece of it is that God God is is his his, his will is for you to turn and repent. Yes. Uh, whether it's in ignorance or not, you turn. Once you know, you turn. That's, yeah. God doesn't say, Oh, I'm sorry you didn't know. Don't worry about it. Well, he would be a bad father then. Why? Because yes. then you're going to do it again. Absolutely right. Because he didn't do his job. So discipline in verse 48 is really important. This is not about unfair. This is about really loving and training. So yes. the last part of that says, from from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. If, you, if you've been given a lot, then much is required of you. Yes. We've been given so much grace, church, oh it's goodness. ridiculous. And then he says... And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Uh, it's a complicated idea, but we'll, we're going we're gonna to keep moving on. The premise is this. Much has been given, much is expected. Yes, absolutely. Verse 49, why don't you walk us through some of this? Okay, he, he starts off, he says, a, a, a startling statement. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Challenging verses there. These are these are ones that are mm. uh, you you cannot just read over them and say, oh wow, yeah, that makes sense. Because so <laughs> jump right in. Because <laughs> it because it doesn't quite yeah. make sense. So <clears throat> I have come I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Um, here. We're, we're dealing with something that um, can be interpreted negatively as a reference to judgment, yes. right? Uh, but it can also come as a positive, as a reference to the coming of the Spirit of God. We yes. see that yes. in Acts yes. on the day of Pentecost. So, so no matter where we end out on this, what I want people to realize as they're studying it is you can see this two ways. And, and I think there's, there's a way I lean, but I just, I want people to see that fire was notorious as a sign of judgment Certainly. in the scripture. Um, but here it is to cast fire upon the earth. Why would Jesus wish that judgment were already kindled? Mm. That mm. seems strange if that's what he would, means, yes. but that's, but that doesn't mean I fully understand it. I'm simply pointing out my observation. Then verse 50, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Maybe this is this baptism. Well, it is a baptism of judgment here because he has to drink of the cup, Mm -hmm. the the wrathful Mm -hmm. cup of God. Um, So there's a baptism he has to undergo. Uh, he has already been baptized in water. Yes. We, we've already been there, right? Jesus is not baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire on the day of Pentecost. That's the baptism by which he came to offer. There was a baptism he came to give. Uh, so this this baptism seems to be the baptism of the judgment or the wrath of God uh, in him taking on mm-hmm. sin for us. Mm-hmm. So th- those are a couple of thoughts for for conjecture. Yeah, it's I yeah, I think they're they're good. There's just so many ways I uh, the 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 thing that that I 
uh, noted was that uh, in, in, in a cross in a cross reference, and I have no idea, and I'm going to straight up tell you that this is, I don't know where I stand on what this fire is, but I, I agree with you that that uh, it, there are some things that it could be, but there are some that it does, just doesn't make yeah. any sense. But in Jeremiah 23, it says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord. So I, I don't know if that is, if if he's, if the word of God is, is casting a fire upon the earth, I can see some things that say yes, but some that say no. But but I but I think you're right. There are two ways to look at that. And and he goes on to, to make some startling statements. He says, Do you suppose that I've come to grant peace on the earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. And they, they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against uh, daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now he is... I think that would have happened whether Jesus came or not. I, I think you're probably... Yeah. Okay, Good point. On. Good point. <laughs> Sorry. This is a... Bad. Jesus is, <laughs> is kind of quoting... Uh, he, he's... He's alluding to something, and I, I, and there again, I'm, I, I'm absolutely not the the final say on this. It seems to be if you cross reference this, you can go to any scholarly commentary and 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 read that he he he. It seems to come from Micah chapter seven, where and and, and let me just read that so you'll see what I'm why why I'm saying this. He says. For son, this and, and this is in Micah seven verses six and seven. For son treats or for son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But listen to what it says. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my sal- salvation. This would fit. In the context of being ready for the Lord, yes. it would it would fit in the context of understanding Absolutely. what Jesus had been talking about about our readiness to for for what He was about to do. Yeah. So, and just if, a thought. And if we're putting that well within the context of the narrative of Scripture of redemptive history, Micah is speaking that about the coming of the Messiah. Yes, that would be the first coming. Yes. It would, it would appear to confirm yet again this idea, and again, I'm, I'm definitely open to, to being challenged on it, that this idea has to do with Jesus being present now and them not being ready. And then the instruction about how will Peter find himself when Jesus is raised from the dead. I think there's something about that. I but think you're nonetheless, right. nonetheless, the point here is that Micah is talking about uh, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. And he is talking about expectant language. Yes. I'm going to be waiting. I'm going to be ready. I'm going yes. to be this. Because yet again, this is the this is a marker of a kingdom people. Yes. They're waiting for their king to do all that he has for them to do. So uh, there, there's a point that I want to get to from, uh, from Matt uh, Wesley here in a second, uh, just to rewind just a little bit of a touch on the undergoing the baptism. Another piece that's worth considering in this discussion 
is what we read in the gospel, um, in the gospel of Mark, I believe. Yeah, Mark chapter 10. Uh, let's just listen to the story. It's a story of James and John, and they're talking to Jesus. It said, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, which is the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> anyway, but verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And this is the interesting thing. This is the baptism drinking of the cup parallel that I drew out just a second ago. It says, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. And look at the two things he says. He says, are you, two questions, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism yes. with which I am baptized? So they, they said to him the stupidest response ever, sure, we yeah. are able, right, you guys are. Okay, so Jesus says, fine, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Wow, that, that's a powerful thing there. And what I'm getting at with all of this is Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, and I'm distressed until it's accomplished. Yeah, yeah. We, we should not be surprised in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus says, can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? He is walking grieved over what he knows is coming, which is to drink the cup of the wrath of God, uh, to, to be made sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He has a lot that he's thinking through. And when he says, I have a baptism to undergo, how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? Not with what he has to go through. He has come to make a dividing line. He has come to say, there's a kingdom and then there's you guys. You join me, life is good. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is life, period. They're missing that point, and so he di- he doesn't come to bring peace. He comes to bring division. Now, here's what Matt shared with this. He says something very critical here that I used to struggle severely with. Jesus tells us flat out that they will there will be division amongst everyone. Even families will be divided. Mm. I have had both family and close friends that I would shut out or distance from because they made it a point to ridicule or say terrible things about God, Jesus, or believers. And I don't do that anymore because the danger is that uh, the danger in that is this who will be a light for them for redemption? Who, after years of their thinking, could be someone who inspires a change of heart? And a move to accept Jesus, even when direct conversation about Jesus causes conflict with those people, could a simple observing of behavior uh, of a believer help to open their heart to God in their future? Question mark. I pray it does. And the answer to Matt's question and the observation mm. he's making is great is uh, absolutely. Yeah. The scripture talks about, the Paul talks about an unbelieving spouse being married to, or a believing spouse being married to an unbeliever, and that if they want to stay married, then you should do that because your behavior may win them over. Another confirmation of Matt's concept here is nothing here says that the division comes at the hands of Christians making everybody mad. Right. He says that there will be division, not from 
uh, where or uh, whence, to say it right, the division comes, right? He's not talking about that. The point is that people will be in conflict. And to bring your point, Barney, back into this, to quote Micah, he's saying, this is going to be divisive, but I'm going to be waiting on the Lord. Yeah. What's our responsibility? Yes. What's the answer to Matt's question? We wait on the Lord and we shine a light and don't hide it under a bushel. Yes. yes. That's our call. Yes. We've got it clear as, I think, as day in I, scripture. I, I think great that Matt's, it's great insight that Matt, Matt brought out. And I'm, I'm glad that he has has done that. I mean, that's that's very insightful. It, you know, we we think about that. Is there a price to pay for being a faithful steward? For is there and 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 is that is is that going to divide you against your family and friends? And 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 I think if we shirk that, as Matt has said, and say, hey, I don't want to be around those folks that have you know no good thing to say about Christ or God or His church. I I, I think. Uh, maybe he's right, and I and I applaud that because that's that's a stand that not a lot of people would be brave enough to take to stand, but say I, I'm going to uh, go ahead and endure that because because yes. I may be the only light that these people yes. see, and I I, I it, the the scripture comes to my mind, and I believe it is in Hebrews, it says that Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. shame. Man, we, we, when we think about that, our, our concerns with following Christ in this world and what we have to do to do that pale in comparison yes. to what's been done for us. Yeah. It seems, it seems the scripture is clear that we will face persecution for uh, following Jesus. We, we will have people mm-hmm. who hate us. But we will never see, no matter how we want to twist context and and meanings of words and things like that, we will never see an instruction out of the scripture that says, other than love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. There is never a point in which the scripture says that the division comes at the hands of the Christian. Right. It says division is coming. But we are the ones that people divide from because of our faith. We are to be a light to them. So that's just really important. Matt, thank you for that that comment, that question, all of it, because it's really important for us to, to uh, wrestle through those ideas. Those are the real practical notions here. Verse 54, uh, and he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west... Immediately you say, a shower is coming. (laughs) And so it turns out. In other words, you can see the signs of the sky. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, well, it's going to be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites. Mm. Whoa, here he goes again. You hypocrites. Now notice this. He was also saying to the crowds, there's a really important thing he's trying to get at here. But he says in verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? How is this hypocrisy? How, how does this work this way? I mean, if they're play acting, well, here's how they're play acting. They're playing as though the negative signs around them aren't actually telling them what is about to happen. And I'm telling you right now, that verse is so true today. 
There are people who are play-acting as though the debauchery of our world, though the sinfulness that is on display, whether it's through a Super Bowl halftime show or whatever else it is, people pretending that that is not uh, a sign of the time. If you pretend, Jesus calls you a hypocrite. Yes. You're a hypocrite. You can tell when when the clouds are bringing rain, but you're pretending like this wickedness is not a sign of judgment. Woe to you. Woe to you. Wow. That is, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's stern and it is, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's almost startling that he, that he says that you, you know more about predicting the weather than you know about understanding what God is requiring of you. And I, I, I think that we, that we read this and sometimes, many times, I think, we read this and we we take no thought for actually understanding what Jesus is trying to say here but when we do i think we'll be first of all we will we will learn we will understand more about what Jesus wants from us but my goodness it'll give us far greater insight there i think there're people all over that just gloss over some of this nathan yes. and they just and they and they read it just for the sake of reading it well i've read my bible today and didn't understand a word of it, but at least I read it. Now, that, I, it's I not how you, you grow, right? It's not how you you're not you're not going to grow. That it it goes back to what we uh, what what you've said is about. We have to be a part of a body that that understands what it means to grow and mature in Christ. And rightly divide the word. So at the beginning of this, remember at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus takes on the leaven of the Pharisees and calls it hypocrisy. And now to the crowds, he actually says you're hypocrites. And why are they hypocrites? Because although they can judge the signs of the sky, they do not analyze the present time. And then verse 57, Mm -hmm. again, is is a huge hit to our postmodern culture that we live in. He says, and why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? In today's culture, we'll say, well, who's to tell what is right? Well, guess what? It's not new. This is the same thing that Pilate says to Jesus. What is truth? This kind of weird assessment of what is absolute, what is true has been around for a very long time. But here's what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is you do know what is right. And on your own initiative, you need to judge what is right. But we all don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole because we say, who am I to define who can love who in this world? I'm not anybody, but God is. He is the one who established yes. right and wrong. And we have a responsibility, not out of hatred, but out of love to call them, just like I call my daughter away from a hot coffee cup, the same way. We have a responsibility. And so he yells at these people and calls them hypocrites because what they do is they act like they can't discern what is right. They know full well what is right. They know full well what is wrong. Remember that previous passage when he says, if you know what is right and you choose to do wrong, the flogging is going to be pretty brutal. Well, guess what? James tells us it's sin, and these people are being called out for that. So there, there's a lot to this. I could I could just sit and go on yeah. this, but let's let's do 58 and yes. 59 and try to pull this to a close. He says, "For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him, so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison." I say to you, 
you will not get out of jail until you have paid every last mm-hmm. cent. Now, I know what people do with this. Yes. All of a sudden, people go completely out of context, and Jesus says, here's how you should deal with somebody who has a lawsuit against yeah. you. But let me tell you what I think it's saying. I think he's saying, by the way, the one who has something against you is me, and I'm walking with you. Absolutely. I want you to make this right with me now yeah. before I throw you in Absolutely. jail. Absolutely. Oh, exactly and we are is. missing the point. Yeah. These people did not see it, and it is a pity because they didn't settle with him. They crucified him. And what does the word say? It mm. says, you're not going to get out until you've paid yeah. every last He He gives them a real-world example that they cannot dispute, and an and illustration that's showing that we're so quick to settle an, uh, an unfavorable lawsuit uh, against us, we had better be quick to settle yes. with God before we come before His judgment. Yes, and uh, even more important, or maybe what we would say is uh, existential to them, right in their world, right. Jesus is saying, I'm walking with you. Make yeah. it right with me now. Absolutely. This goes back to confirm all that I've kind of thrown out there in this chapter that says what he's talking about is Him present, yes. His coming, and, and His resurrection, all of this. And yet what we do with it is we make it obscure about something in the future, or we make this about legal issues or something like this. I'm just afraid we've missed yeah, it. Yeah. I think in the context, what we see is Jesus goes, listen, if you're walking along with your opponent, make it right with him before you get to the judge so that it can go well with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, even though I think you're hypocrites, I'm still giving you mercy. Yeah, you've got still an opportunity. Still calling you to repentance. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's. I, I think we, we lose the fact that Jesus didn't just go off on a tangent here. He is absolutely giving them an illustration. This was not an uncommon thing to, to have happen in that day. These things happen just the way that we, we go to court today. And he said, look, if you're in a lawsuit that you know you're not going to win, why, you, why would don't you, do you want to settle? Don't you want to settle with the one that you know is right? Yeah. This is... And in other words, you're with him now. Let's do this right. Let's settle this now. And so uh, what we're seeing all over this is that even when Jesus is harsh, Jesus is offering mercy or was to them. And this is where I feel it applies today, where we look at this and we say, as long as there is a day called today... We need to be a people of repentance. We need to be a people running to the Father. We need to be a people running to the one who brings us to the Father, which is the Son. We, we've got to see this in its fullness and its clarity. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, it's been a great podcast today. Uh, we're looking forward to chapter 13 uh, tomorrow, or at least parts of it, definitely. We haven't made it through one whole chapter in quite some time now, <laughs> but we're looking forward to that. We want to encourage you to hit the like button, hit the share button on Facebook, share it to your other uh, social media accounts. We want to kind of spread the word and have this conversation expand. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear points of agreement, points of disagreements. We want to hear your questions. You can email those to us, piercepointchurch at gmail.com, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com, or barneyestas at yahoo.com. Or you can post those comments or those questions or thoughts on Facebook. You can post them in the Version Bible if you'll uh, join us in that conversation there. But nonetheless, we want to hear from you, and we're going we're gonna to use those comments as, uh, as uh, kind of fuel for our conversations as we move forward. Thank you, guys. God bless. Have a great day.